From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbinder here, your host today, pleased to be joined by my friend and colleague, Adam Turnquist. Adam, how are you today? I'm doing pretty good for a Monday, so all is well over in Milwaukee. Excellent. Well, we got Milwaukee and Boston covered. Uh, I can I can tell you that I'm doing great because I'm not doing what I did this weekend, which was clean out the basement and start my taxes. Oh, so yeah, ouch. it was, a, it, it was rough. well cleaning out the basement for a good reason because I'm going to renovate. You know, we're okay. the basement, so there there is light at the end of that tunnel, but but getting everything out of there has has been. Uh, Less than fun, we'll say. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so, yeah, so happy to be here. Um, here's our agenda for this week. Uh, we're going to talk about, of course, what happened in the markets last week. It's Monday, March 6th, uh, 2023, as we're recording this at the end of the day. Uh, some of the key takeaways you see here, you know, cyclicals continue to dominate defensives. The 10-year yield hit four, came back a little bit off of that, but hit 4% last week as the market continues to price Federal Reserve rate hike expectations in. Uh, and then we saw some big movers in, in retail and in tech on earnings. Um, Salesforce was one, uh, Macy's was another, Broadcom. So you're seeing, um, I think what that means is that active managers have an opportunity to find some good individual stocks, right? You're seeing some dispersion. And if you find a winner, you're be, being rewarded. Um, so um, I thought that was kind of an interesting observation for last week. Uh, and then to finish off the agenda, the LPR research team did lower its S&P 500 target for 2023. We'll talk a little about that. Um, our weekly market commentary this week is trying to find a better analogy than a soft landing. Uh, so um, we'll leave you in suspense a, a little bit for just a moment while we tee that one up. Uh, and then, of course, we'll preview the week as we always do. So let's first take a look at the market returns for last week. We've got, you know, well, this isn't green and red, but if it was, we'd have a lot of green <laughs> because pretty much everything uh, worked last week. Um, we had uh, about 2% gain in the S&P 500, Adam. We had um, gains really across the globe. I guess Brazil is is, is one exception. Um, I think, you know, if if I were to come up with one observation, it's that the market is actually resilient in the face of interest rate sensitivity, right? Because if we just yeah. talked about how the market's pricing in more Fed rate hikes, the market is pricing in a little bit more of a gradual decline in inflation. And yet, you know, we're we're up 6% for the year and had a really good week last week. Yeah, I think resiliency is really the, the key theme, especially as you mentioned, what the market had to absorb over the last week or several weeks, really, you know, just looking at some of the three month or six month stats, you know, we're still higher. And you think about where the expectations were, say, six months ago, where the Fed was going, you know, we were looking at potential, not we, but the market is looking at potential rate cuts, you know, a, a 460 terminal rate. All of that's changed, obviously, now. So definitely, I think resilience is the, is the key word there. Yeah, well, hopefully it lasts, uh, but we'll we'll see. I I think um, you know the sector mix, the cyclicals outpacing the defensive this year is sending a positive economic signal. Now, of course, the market could change its mind at any time, but 
you know, you saw last week leadership for materials, right? We saw some big moves in commodities, which we'll show you on the next slide. We saw industrials do quite well, considered you know, perhaps the most cyclical uh, of all sectors. We had a pretty good week for tech. Uh, you know, list goes on and on, right? And then the defenses on the other side of the coin uh, continue to struggle. That's utilities in particular, uh, that's um, consumer staples as well as as healthcare. So, you know, Adam, how long do you think that's going to last? Is this just kind of a, you know, short-term rotation, or do you think something here is telling us that that these cyclicals have staying power? I, th I think staying power, it's probably going to be more durable than most people expect. So when we look at the technical trends here, you know, we'll look at a ratio chart of equal weight consumer discretionary versus equal weight consumer staples. And throughout the last half of 2022, it was really just stuck in this consolidation range, looked like a bottom. And then we had this decisive breakout to the upside, meaning that, you know, the equal weight consumer discretionary was outperforming. When we view that on the technical side, that's your switch back to risk on, or as we call it, offense taking the field. And that trend looks sustainable right now. I don't think the pace that we, we witnessed in January of consumer discretionary, for example, outperforming is sustainable, but I think the trend overall favors that offensive tilt. And then when you look at sector breadth and what's going on underneath the surface within the S&P 500, it's really the participation has been broad-based in all of those cyclical sectors, meaning they have more stocks that are above their 200-day moving average, more stocks and uptrends versus utilities or real estate, they're actually putting up the weakest breath. So they really are not participating in the rally that we've seen this year. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to watch if, if these sectors continue to do well and, and do send an accurate signal of future economic activity, right? The market seems to be saying that perhaps a soft landing, as most call it, uh, is, is possible. So let's turn to the um, fixed income and commodity markets just real briefly. I think what's interesting here, I mean, first, bonds hung in, uh, right, even though we had a little bit of a rate move. And then the um, the other thing I think worth noting, I mean, look at the, the, you know, the bounce in energy. We finally got a little bit of a rally in oil. We certainly natural gas prices, which have just been absolutely clobbered, uh, are starting to really come back. Um, I mean, it's not necessarily something we're rooting for, but as investors in the energy sector. And, and as the energy is, sector is a signal of global demand, I think you could argue that's positive. And then precious metals, uh, precious and industrial metals, really strong uh, last week. What do, you, what do you think, Adam? Anything here worth uh, emphasizing? Yeah, definitely. When you look at energy, I think a lot of people are looking at when the bottom is coming for natural gas. That's, you know, some people call it the widowmaker market with NatCas, just given the volatility I think that, you know, that description holds, uh, especially after the last six months with the breakdown we've seen in futures, they got clobbered again today, actually. I didn't see where they closed, but, you know, volatility is there to stay, I think, in that gas. But we're really looking at crude oil as well. And a lot of people are looking for a potential bottom there. I think it's early innings on the technical side. You know, we're starting to see higher lows develop with WTI crude oil. Um, clearly, some of the supply dynamics or supply and demand dynamics support a potential bottom. Just haven't had that confirmational signal yet for a breakout, but certainly crude oil's holding up relatively well. 
So something we're definitely watching closely. And then when you look at what's going on in the metals complex, um, industrial metals are, are doing quite well. And some of the stocks that, you know, are mining those industrial metals are actually doing really well. Um, you know, copper obviously stands out here. That's pulled back right to this key area of support. But really, it's, you know, the copper trade right now and the copper trend is higher. And the takeaways there as a leading economic indicator certainly suggests that, you know, maybe the economy is doing better than some of the headlines at least suggest. Oh, and those headlines certainly don't uh, inspire too much confidence <laughs> these days. A lot yeah. of bearishness out there. Um, so um, let's look at the S&P 500 here. I, I think, you know, Adam, you and many others have pointed out the defense of the 200-day. That's really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone's watching that level closely, especially last week. We had a big uh, retest of that 200-day moving average. That was at 39.40. And it was pretty remarkable because on Thursday, started off week, we we basically traded right down to that that 200-day moving average, and then buying pressure stepped up. So the bulls managed to hold the line at that 200-day, and we actually had um, a pretty bullish price pattern on a candlestick develop on Thursday. And what you look for on those is follow-through buying, which is exact exactly what we witnessed on Friday. Another big move on Friday. So it does speak to, you know, bulls stepping up to defend that key area of support. Looks like we possibly have here another higher low. It does, you know, add to the evidence of this developing uptrend with the S&P 500. So we'll see how this plays out for the rest of the week. Obviously, still a lot of risk to this recovery, but on the technical side, certainly suggests that, you know, the the I think the October lows um, were likely set uh, for this bear market. Yeah, still a lot of people looking for a retest of October lows. That certainly we have a long way to go uh, to get there. I mean, my my amateur technical eye tells me that there, we're not going to go down there, right? Yeah, exactly. This, this series of higher lows and potentially higher highs, at least over the last uh, six months. I, I mean, that's a that's a meaningful amount of time to hold on. I mean, you can have retests later, but um, clearly, again, as we just talked about. The market's sending a pretty positive economic signal here. Market can be wrong, but it it's it's voicing its view pretty loudly here. Yeah, absolutely. And we look at the weight of the evidence in the technical world. And you know, when you look at the checklist, you know, for a market bottom, there's a pretty long list of evidence that would suggest that those lows were set in October. By no means is that a guarantee, but when you look at just at a high level overall market breadth being cyclical, what you're seeing with, you know, the S&P now back above its 50-day and the 200-day is actually rising, not by much, and you might not be able to see it in this chart, but it's actually starting to, to slope higher. Um, and you look at, you know, what's happening even on, with, within the interest rate environment, the dollar, kind of those macro field conditions, you know, we're a bit higher on, on the dollar and yields, but overall, I think it's a pretty constructive backdrop for equity markets. Yeah, we can just hang in there until the um, the macro picture gets better. Then uh, you know every day the odds of a retest uh, fall. So you know that was kind of an optimistic take. That you know the fact that we took our target down clearly is is not optimistic, right? Uh, reducing our S and P five hundred target. But uh, if we put some context around that, uh, I mean, first and and um, some of you may have seen this. We we um, announced this in the global portfolio strategy report that we put out every month. 
our snapshot of our asset allocation views. And we just took it down 100 points. And it's a very simple reason why uh, we, we just factored in slightly higher interest rates, right? When we set this target, we thought the Fed would maybe hike rates a couple times this year and be done. Well, clearly that's not going to happen. Got probably a few more to go, uh, or at least a couple more to go. Uh, and we, you know, we still have a 10-year yield range of three and a quarter to 375, but we're already at four and it's early March, right? So we still think we'll get there. It's just going to take a little bit of time uh, for the market to price in lower inflation and uh, start to bring rates down. So this is really just a valuation call, uh, recognizing that it's probably going to take a little bit longer uh, to, um, you know, to price in kind of a victory in the inflation battle. So that's that's really all there. I didn't want to talk too much about GDP growth forecasts without uh, Dr. Jeffrey Roach with us, but um, it is going to be kind of a close call between, let's call it muddle through soft landing or mild recession, uh, maybe mild short-lived shallow recession. So um, let's move on. And um, well, actually, let, real quick before we move on, Adam. So you've highlighted 4,300 as a key technical level. So that's another reason why I think it makes sense to shoot for 4,300 rather than maybe 4,400 plus at this point. Is that fair? Yeah, that's going to be a tough level for the S&P 500 to get through, especially given some of the some of the interest rate environment, inflation, you know, I, I think that level goes back to the August highs. There's a key retracement level at 4,300. And again, I think the, just on the fundamental side, making the case for anything above that is going to be challenging on the, on the earnings side as well from a valuation standpoint. Yeah, earnings season really didn't surprise us too much. But, um, you know, at this point, we have a little bit more downside risks maybe than, than we thought we'd have at the start of the year. So that, that is certainly worth worth noting as well. Uh, so this week's weekly market commentary uh, authored by Jeffrey Roach is, is about offering a different analogy to the soft landing, hard landing thing. I just did it myself. I just used that phrase. <laughs> Jeff, I'm glad Jeff's not listening. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, a soft landing, hard landing is about stopping, right? And so just making the point that you don't really stop the economy just needs to get to steady state. And that's really about hitting its stride. So he's, I don't know, I guess he's got a campaign going on to try to uh, get people away from the landing the plane analogy, trying for running. So um, the, um, the first point that he makes in the piece is that we actually did achieve um, something like hitting the economy's stride, right? Uh, in the mid nineties when, uh, you know, Greenspan hiked rates to slow inflation, and we actually avoided recession, uh, eventually had it after the tech bubble burst, but avoided the recession in the mid-90s. So it's it's difficult. We know the Fed's track record is not good, but it is certainly possible that they're able to uh, thread this needle again. Um, the other, another point he makes in the piece is how spending you know, we have this mix of services spending and good spending. And of course, during the pandemic, that went all haywire because we all just stocked up on goods and a lot of services businesses were closed, right? Makes sense. So now we're going back to normal because the economy's reopened, but look what's happened. The share of services is still 
way below its pre-pandemic trend. So the point Jeff makes here is that we have potentially hundreds of billions of dollars of additional services spending that can that can boost the economy. Yeah, certainly a surprising uh, chart when he showed this. When I was looking at his commentary, I was a bit shocked that we weren't even back to to normal on services, just given um, you know what we've seen in terms of the reopening of the U.S. economy. So I don't know. Did you have a lot of of goods stashed away in the basement from? <laughs> <laughs> when you're cleaning out the basement, I guess maybe this is oh, true yes. for you know getting rid of the uh, exercise bike that's collecting <laughs> dust. Yeah, well, what is that you're talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> so um, I had a ton of goods, and so we're yeah. like any of you, where we loaded up on stuff, you know, just in case we had to be you know stuck at home longer than we anticipated. So you know, there's paper towels and wipes and Purell and all that junk. Um, that, that we had to move. And so, you know, that's this big boost, right, to goods. What did it go from, you know, 63 to 68% of the economy, something like that. And that's a lot of dollars to move, right? So, and then services, of course, came down. So there's a few percentage points of that services uh, component to get back still. Maybe some of it will be permanently lost. Uh, but um, this is, the point here is that there's some upside to the economy. Now, the downside to this is that this could create more services inflation. And it's services inflation that we're trying to contain now. The, the goods inflation battle is pretty much over, right? We've already seen, you know, you saw it in used car prices and things like that. The sort of poster children for the inflation problem on the goods side. Uh, but services, uh, we still have ways to go. Rents are in there, right? We're gonna have some, I don't know, a few months uh, longer, I think, where it's gonna be tough to get services inflation down but by the end of the year we think we'll have some clear progress there so that's that um another positive aspect i think to the inflation battle right now is that and again jeff points this out in in the weekly commentary on lpl.com single family construction no surprise has come down because interest rates have risen but multifamily construction right building apartment buildings is actually risen quite a bit. This is almost a 20% uh, increase in six months. So what does that mean? It means apartment rents can come down because we'll have more supply of apartments, right? Basic supply demand uh, balance there. So, you know, this is going to take some time, but eventually uh, we would expect less pressure on rents from more uh, multifamily construction. So, so that's, let's wrap it up there on that piece and then tie um, tie this into the markets here, Adam, which you've done. Um, you have taken a look at uh, home builder sentiment and home builder stocks. And I think you've actually got some really interesting uh, charts here to walk through. So I'll just hand it over to you and let you take us through this. Yeah. So we'll start with the, the National Association of Home Builders Index or Housing Market Index on the top panel here. This is just a, a survey that goes out among single family home builders, basically getting their assessment on their outlook for the, the housing sector. And you can see here on the top panel, we recently hit the lowest level since the pandemic in terms of overall builder sentiment, which might sound a little crazy considering where things were at. I mean, you couldn't even leave your own house, let alone go look at a new house um, back in the pandemic. And we were back at that type of bearish sentiment among builders. It was actually this index at the high level 
was down for 12 straight months in 2022. Finally broke that losing streak. So in January, it, it was positive. And again, in February, we started to see some improvements within the home builder sentiment. On the bottom panel, just looks at the various components. Um, there's three different um, surveys that they take. All three of them are actually higher. Looks like a, a potential bottom in sentiment. Clearly, uh, mortgage rates were lower at the last um, you know, February data point. Um, we'll get an update on this on March 15th. So we'll see how higher mortgage rates play into the next reading. But you know, when you think about a housing market and the economy and stocks, generally, you know, when housing bottoms, stocks bottom, um, we actually looked at some of the data around that, just looking at this NHAB index. If you go to the next slide, and this comes with a bit, big asterisk in terms of the data because we're using uh, one, the benefit of hindsight to pick out these housing market bottoms. And then two, it's a pretty limited data set. But nonetheless, when you actually look at all of the bottoms in that NHAB survey index, um, you can see here where those lows were. And if there was a recession, um, actually four out of the five included a recession or had overlap of the recession. But I found interesting going back to the to the um, soft landing analogy or um, um, comparison that we looked at, we did have a uh, HMI or a NHAB bottom back in 1995 without a recession. That was during that soft landing era um, that you were talking about earlier, Jeff. What we haven't seen is a, a bottom in building permits yet. So something to watch for um, in terms of the economic data. But when you do see a bottom in, in the HMI, you can see here forward returns for the S&P 500 um, just over the next 12 months. The average is 21% with you know four out of the five periods being higher. There was an early signal back in, in 2001 um, that was the only negative return across those timeframes. And then when you look at the actual home builders coming off those um, bottoms, you can see the returns are pretty impressive across the board. The average is, you know, just over 50%. Again, limited data set, but it does suggest, um, you know, it does kind of validate what we're seeing in some of the home builder stocks, certainly um, having a pretty good run since last year, really since last summer, um, they've been outperforming the broader market. So pretty constructive if we do get, you know, a bottom in home builder sentiment. So it's a little too early to make that call. And I, I'll let Jeffrey Roach make that call as well, given he's the chief economist, but certainly something we're looking at. What I'm really looking at is the home builder stocks. And this one's been pretty surprising when you think about where mortgage rates have gone over the last year. You know, we hit a, a peak in mortgage rates back in November and the housing data has been just pretty dismal over the last 12 months. Um, and you can see housing stocks or home builder stocks really haven't reflected the economic data. So here you can see the Dow Jones Select Home Builders Index pretty much been trending higher um, since last fall. Had a recent pullback right to this 50-day moving average um, as I think mortgage rates, you know, they've climbed higher for the last four weeks. So and prices were a little bit overbought. So some cooling in that, but nonetheless, the trend is higher here for home builders. And on the bottom panel, which is really interesting, is that relative outperformance over the S&P 500. You know, this home builders index 
has basically been putting up higher lows against the S&P 500 since right around uh, April and May, which is pretty pretty amazing just given what the economic data has said about housing. Um, I think if you were to take all of the housing data and look at it and then say, okay, where are home builder stocks? I don't think you would say they're outperforming. I don't, I don't know. Um, so that that's where we're at. I, I think it's uh, a pretty interesting case here for home builders. Clearly, uh, as a technician, we think price leads fundamentals. And I think this could be a pretty good case of that right now within the housing market. Yeah, so you, you and I have been in this business a while, me longer than you. Um, but it seems like every cycle, home builders price in the worst economic scenario first before you know, pretty much any other group. And then they, they come out of that earlier than pretty much any other group, which is interesting because it takes a long time to find land and buy a home, which suggests maybe it shouldn't be such a, well, maybe those are connected, right? Because <laughs> they, they're kind of stuck with the costs that they have. Um, and you know the market can just quickly price in the lost revenue and and find the bottom more quickly than other groups. Yeah, certainly. And I think just given what happened, you know, in 08, 09 with housing, this is probably one of the first spots investors were selling when we're talking about higher rates, just given maybe the recency bias for anyone that was invested in housing stocks back then. So, you know, depending on the the stock, I think a lot of these were down at the aggregate level called on average around 45% in terms of their drawdown last year. And it was a pretty quick drawdown. You can see from, from January to June, certainly more severe punishment for these stocks uh, last year. And now we're starting to climb out of that. You know, we're almost, almost half or a little over halfway back to those old highs, but um, you know, the relative performance has really been picking up here. Yeah. And you have the secular tailwind of needing more homes. So yeah, that the market just can get comfortable with the long-term outlook quicker, uh, I think, with these stocks than maybe, I don't know, some hardline retailer or some big industrial. Uh, so I think maybe that's part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. In interesting. All right. Well, thanks for that. Let's um let's look at the week ahead uh, of economic data here. And and there's some biggies, right? Actually, one of the biggies isn't even on here, <laughs> which is, or it isn't on the calendar. It's Powell's testimony uh, in front of Congress Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, the Senate first, the House second. We can start with that. You know, it's very unlikely that Powell breaks new ground. I think you're going to hear, and this is pretty much always the way this testimony works. It pretty much just reiterates what he's already told the markets, and it ends up being, you know, political theater, grandstanding, um, and really not much changes. So we wouldn't, maybe that's not the biggest wild card for markets this week, because uh, you're not going to get surprised most likely. The biggest wild card for the markets is the payrolls report on Friday. Uh, consensus 215 uh, from Bloomberg. There's probably a little bit of upside risk. You probably have a battle between the people who think the weather drove January's strength versus those who don't, because January was unseasonably warm. That 517 was so far above what anybody thought uh, that we would get. It, it really, I mean, it was a shocker. <laughs> so I think what you've probably seen, either that number will be revised or will maybe some jobs were pulled from February into January. So we would look for something in the twos range or maybe even a little bit lower 
uh, we're not going to get another another blowout here. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. I don't think you know we're going to see another massive blowout in terms of exceeding all estimates. I thought my Bloomberg was broke when I saw that number last time. I'm like, all right, trying to hit refresh because someone you know fat fingered a digit because no one had no one saw that coming. I don't think we'll we'll see it again. I think the revisions will really be interesting. Um, and you know what we'll see with some of the averagely or average hourly earnings and and how that how that looks on Friday as well. Sure, I mean you, you nobody wants anybody to lose their job, but the market's trading on wages, which is where you know Powell's going to take cues. And um, right now, you know we we still have too tight of a labor market. The Jolts job openings report, I mean, I, that matters too. It's a, it's a, a one-month lag, but right now, I think the job openings to unemployed ratio is pretty much at post-pandemic highs. It's like 1.9. Um, I believe the high was two. So we got to get that number down a little bit too. You hope that we can fix this wage inflation problem with just reducing job openings and having not you know very few or no one lose their job. It's certainly a really tough needle to thread, uh, but certainly we think we're going to get part of the way there with just reducing job openings. And then um, certainly you'll have some layoffs. We've already seen some layoffs. Certainly technology has gotten a lot of headlines for that, but um, we, we got a ways to go. Uh, we unfortunately are going to have to see a little bit more softening uh, in, in the labor market here. So that is by far and away the most important uh, economic data point this week. It's It's going to be it's going to be Friday. So um, I think that's it for me. Anything else you want to add to send us home here, Adam, or are we good to go? I think we're pretty much good to go on the technical side. You know, we continue to watch that kind of 3940 level if we do get any more downside or another retest. So so watch that 200-day moving average. You know, if we look at resistance, we get a bit of a rally. Next major spot's going to be kind of 4100 that goes back to those December highs. So that's really what we're looking at on the S&P for the technicals this week. Yep. And the word of the day, resilience. Um, there we so go. A lot of that. And hopefully that will continue. So um, thanks, Adam, for joining this week. Really great discussion. A lot of good topics in there. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining another edition of LPO Market Signals. We will be back with you next week. See you then and take care. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, 
Member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.